When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We here at the Fumbling Four Network take mental health very serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can text or start an online chat. Once again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lurecast. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me, as always, is the amazing, illustrious, incredible oh, knock it Ariel. Off. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we also have Daniel. Hi there. <laughs> so, uh, Ariel. No. What is today's episode about? Classified. I knew it. <laughs> If you know, you know. Oh, so today we're actually going to be talking about the first episode of Infinite Darkness. Oh, is that what we're covering? That is exactly what we're covering. We're not classifying it anymore. It's it's unclassified now. That was redacted. It's redacted. <laughs> so, since we're talking about Infinite Darkness, we have to, of course, go over our synopsis first. All right. I think that's me. That is definitely you. <laughs> All right. So first, some information about it. It premiered on Netflix on July 8th, 2021. It was also released on DVD and Blu-ray with blown, with bonus features and other packed-in merchandise on December 22nd in Japan. Of course, in Japan, not here. So it sounds like we don't have it on DVD and Blu-ray. Mm. So if you can understand that, then you can get it. <laughs> it consists of four episodes, roughly 24 to 28 minutes long, and it features... Ariel's favorite protagonist, Leon. Yeah. And her not so favorite. Doesn't say she doesn't like that favorite, but Claire. What? I like Claire. Well, that's why I said it wasn't your favorite. I was, no, no I was, she's not my favorite. I'm trying to confuse everybody. And it takes place in 2006, two years after Resident Evil 4 and roughly one year after Revelations. And it also takes place after Claire and Leon's reunion in, de- in Degeneration and just shortly before 
Jill and Chris go on a raid to the Spencer estate in Lost in Nightmares, Resident Evil 5. Holy cow. So they're all close to each other. Of course, this doesn't exactly affect the Lost in Nightmares DLC. Not yet. (laughs) I don't think it ever will. Season two coming. Well, maybe it will. Mm. So the plot of this, this is going to cover most of the series while we're going to do the individual episode plots. But this is the synopsis plot. In October 2000, U.S. intervention in the Panamstam Civil War goes awry when an army helicopter is shot down. An army special operations unit, the Mad Dogs, are sent to the crash site as a rescue mission, but find they have become zombies. Vincent is classified, and the soldiers are returned to Texas as heroes for their fighting against the insurgents. Six years later, evidence is discovered by TerraSave activist Claire Redfield, which reveals an expansive conspiracy to cover up the deployment of bioweapons. Meanwhile, the White House is placed on alert after a mole steals top-secret files regarding the Shanghai Institutes for Biological Sciences. Imagine working there. Following soon after by the use of bioweapons there. In the aftermath of the incident, now covered up too, U.S. Stratcom operator Leon Kennedy meets with Claire and discovers the incidents in 2000 and now are linked. And that is what I have on plot synopsis. Dun, dun, dun. So that brings us to... What's going on with the plot, Ariel? Classified. (laughs) So let's talk plot episode one. Yeah. It is October 2000 in the country of Panamstan. The provisional government has lost control and are faced with civil war. In spite of the existing UN peacekeeping efforts, the U.S. Army takes direct action on the government's behalf. A special operations task force, dubbed Cougar 6, is sent out to a city 70 miles northwest of their base, which has been taken over by the insurgents. One of the helicopters is shot down, stranding Alpha 2 in the city as the insurgents quickly swarm them. Despite clear orders to the contrary, the Mad Dogs drop down to secure the crash site and rescue survivors. The team finds one of the soldiers and drags him out of the helicopter, but they are attacked by more insurgents. In the night, the bodies of the other Alpha 2 operatives are hung up under a statue by the insurgents. While covering them with petrol, ready to be set alight, one of the soldiers wakes up. (gasps) The setting jumps ahead to 2006, and the Civil War has come to an end with the insurgents laying down their arms. Much of the country is in ruins, and refugees are reliant on the UN and TerraSave to provide food and shelter. Claire ventures into the city to inspect one of the camps and meets a young boy, paraplegic and mute, following the military strike. He provides Claire with a drawing of what he saw in 2000, masses of people eating one another. Claire is disturbed by the image and recognizes it as evidence of the use of T-virus or a similar bioweapon. Some days after the White House is placed on alert, an unidentified individual has hacked into confidential computer files. Normally, this would be indicative of state-sponsored cyber warfare, but the computer was on a local area network. 
The individual must be a civil servant employed at the White House or even a politician in the Graham administration. The investigation is overseen by President Graham himself, his chief of staff, Ryan, and his defense secretary, Wilson. Oh, Wilson. Ugh. All people who were in the White House on the day of the hacking are subject to investigation to be led by four of their best agents, Patrick, Jason, Shen Mei, and Leon Kennedy. While Patrick is a rookie, Jason and Shen Mei formerly served in Padamstan, while Leon previously served in the U.S. Army's anti-umbrella pursuit and investigation team. Leon is running late, so the meeting takes place in the Oval Office without him. Right as Leon arrives at the White House, the power goes out and the Secret Service springs to action, ready to take Graham to the Beast if necessary. When the backups fail to turn on, it becomes clear the mole from the previous night is still in the White House. The three agents leave the Oval Office to search for the mole, with Patrick running into Press Secretary Spacer, who has been mauled by an unidentified assailant. When he goes into cardiac arrest, Patrick prepares to resuscitate him, only for Spacer to wake up and attack him. As a zombie! Patrick is unprepared for this and is almost bitten when Leon shoots him dead with a bullet to the head. Leon meets with Graham at the Oval Office and warns him of the situation. The escape to the Beast is called off in favor of the bunker. Leon, Shen Mei, and Jason begin scouring the White House for zombies while Patrick is sent down into the bunker as Graham's protection while Metro SWAT are called in as backup just in case. They soon find the virus has spread rapidly, infecting dozens of staff members. In the morning, USARMIID teams arrive to collect the corpses and disinfect the White House. After consideration, Graham decides it's best to cover up the incident, and the victims are declared to have gone on leave. By the afternoon, the White House is busy as normal. Claire arrives for her scheduled appointment with Spacer, only to be told of the mistake with his leave. She does, however, spot Leon, who she confides in about her discovery about a biohazard in Panamstan. Later, the DIA investigation begins the hacking. Behind the hacking determines the stolen files discussed a bio-research facility in Shanghai, which Wilson insists confirms Chinese responsibility. A top-secret operation is drawn up in which Leon, Jason, and Shen Mei are to infiltrate the Shanghai facility. They are flown to Guam and board one of the new Virginia-class subs. I should say submarine. Virginia-class submarine at Apra Harbor. Modified for sonar stealth and provided with a modified ASDS, this is a state-of-the-art vessel. A flashback to... 2000 shows the Panam Stanny child watching the insurgents hang the Alpha 2 operatives from a makeshift bunker. Suddenly, the soldiers wake up and tear off their ropes before setting themselves upon the insurgents. And that is the end of the episode. The plot for the episode. So, yeah, there we go. 
Holy shit. <laughs> That's all I have to say about the first episode. I like how they put the end of the episode at the very front part of the episode. Yeah. Well, they didn't finish it in the beginning, so they had to finish it. At the <laughs> I'm end. glad they did finish it. <laughs> so, Daniel, now that we have plot out of the way, let's talk B.O.W.'s. What do we have in this episode? <laughs> we have a whole bunch. Oh, do we? Of zombies. Of zombies. Yes, which <laughs> it's alluded that they're T-virus zombies, so there's nothing too different from the actual zombies, the T-virus mm-hmm. versions that we've seen. So it spreads the same, biting, we can assume, via water, but in the episode, you only can tell it's probably through bite, more than likely. Mm-hmm. That's what I have on B.O.W. Sorry, everybody. Hey, look at that. Perfect timing. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, we don't have much to talk about with the B.O.W.s right now, but we do have some characters to go over in this episode. Yeah. So, Ariel, you want to start us off with those? I suppose I could. So, the first one I'm going to cover is Jason. Jason is the former captain of the U.S. Army Special Forces Team Mad Dogs after a traumatic event happened on the war-torn country Penamstan. He then becomes a federal agent serving alongside Leon, Shen Mei, and Patrick under President Grant. So, that's what I have on Jason at this time. Okay. Because I don't want to spoil the rest of the episodes for you all. So the next one I have is Shen Mei. Now she was a Chinese American federal agent who investigated the conspiracy behind Penamstian civil war. She had a younger brother named June C and an unnamed grandfather who was the head of the conglomerate in Shanghai. So I'm not going to go much into that yet. So that is what I have on her. Next I have Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong show, Daniel. Wrong show. So what I have on Patrick is he is a rookie U.S. agent with very little experience in intelligence activities. And he joined the agency recently and considers Leon as just a lucky man. And he looks up to Jason for his heroism act back in Penamstan. Okay. It's classified, Aaron. It's classified. (laughs) So. And then, of course, we have Leon, which I don't need to discuss. And we have Claire. Which I don't need to discuss. So I am leaving the rest to Daniel. All right. So I have Wilson and not the one that hates Dennis the Menace. Mr. Wilson. Or a volleyball. Oh, that's all I could think about when she said that. Wilson. Yeah, I like another version of Wilson better. (laughs) Wilson is a retired major general and politician who served as Secretary of Defense for the Graham, Graham administration. The rest of his information we get, we find out in the episodes, so I will not go into too much detail there. Huh, weird how this happens. But you will be quite surprised. What a twist. 
Will I, though? Yes. Will I? Next, we have Ryan, which looks similar to, as Ariel coins it, the penguin from Resident Evil Degeneration. He looks similar. He's not the same person. <laughs> Ryan worked as a chief of staff and served during Graham's term and is the closest advisor to him. His opinion is known to have clashed with the Secretary of Defense, Wilson. I mean, he does have a striking similarity to the penguin. I told you. And most of the rest of his background has to do with the episodes. At least the first episode. Next up we have Graham, which is the President of the United States from 2001 to 2009. Hey, at least he got to service full eight years. Listen, I like, I like Graham. President oh, yeah. Graham. How did he get? Ashley must take after her mother. Because <laughs> that's, that's why she wasn't in any of the photos in the first episode. <laughs> There's probably an Easter egg somewhere. There's like a photo hidden behind something, and that's what the picture of her. <laughs> His term saw the emergence and escalation of the War on Terror. I feel like that's every president (laughs) from 2000 onwards. So his first term, after winning the 2000 presidential election, Graham's first term saw considerable challenges inherited from his predecessors. Domestically, Graham was faced with the ramifications of the 1998 Raccoon City destruction incident which saw the resignation of a previous president. Graham maintained the policy of continuing a cover-up of a cover-up over the incident, leaving information of illegal bioweapons deals with Umbrella Corporation at the expense of the raccoon trials, lacking suitable evidence to determine guilt over the incident. Internationally, the end of the Cold War with the collapse of the Soviet Union a decade earlier only served to destabilize much of the world. Another creation during Graham's first term was the Federal Bioterrorism Commission, a federal agency dedicated to dealing with bioterrorism. Alongside the FBC, a secret group within U.S. STRATCOM known as the Anti-Umbrella Pursuit and Investigation Team, was sent out around the world on operations striking at terrorist group and crime syndicates, seeing, syndicates seeking to obtain bioweapons. Graham had direct control over this army unit, with 2002 seeing one mission into South America and another in the Atlantic Ocean, preventing a missile launch, which was to disperse T-Virus over American airspace. The secretive unit would be sent out on operations under Antivirus Weapon Protocol number 7600, which, which gave blanket orders to contend with biohazards and bioterrorism as a matter of national security regardless of location. In 2003, the Umbrella Corporation finally entered its death throes as the U.S. government struck a deal with Dr. Albert Wesker for information which could be used against the company in the Raccoon Trials. Though the bankruptcy of Umbrella's subsidiaries ended Umbrella as a threat, the bioweapons black market only rallied its operations under Wesker's group Tricell, and with the 2004 Terragrigia panic, the policy of denying the assistance of BOWs could no longer continue. And then basically his second term has to do with Leon going and saving his daughter over in Spain. 
Oh boy. Tell me that's like the most iconic thing that happens during his second term. It happened basically at the same time. Uh, most of this has to do with everything we've covered between that and Resident Evil Revelations. The first one. So that's what I have Thank on you. Graham. <laughs> Next I have Spacer. And he is not someone in space. Wow. Spacer, he died in 2006 and was an American political aide who served the Graham administration as the White House press secretary. He was euthanized following the Wilson plot. Euthanized. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, his biography does link into what happened. So during the preparations for the 2006 Penan Stand Peace Accords, Spacer had a scheduled appointment with TerraSave, who were working alongside its provisional government and lobbying for funding for hospitals and schools. And the night before the meeting, the White House came under siege by zombies. And from then on, the rest of Spacer's life is history. <laughs> hmm. What an iconic character. I had to think of how to end his sentence. <laughs> that is what I have on Spacer, because you get to see what happens to him. He, he's an important character for all of 30 seconds. If that. It could have been a little bit longer, maybe. I feel like he was only in this episode to give justification to bring Claire in. Yes. We'll get, we'll get to that. <laughs> I believe that is all our main characters so far. So far. Well, with all that being said, I think this is the perfect time for us to take a mid-break. Well, here we are in the middle of the show. No, nothing from you, Ariel? It's awful. There you go. <laughs> uh, so the first thing we have to do is... Go classified. home. That's not classified. It's thank our wonderful patrons. Uh, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so we have to give a huge thank you to our VIP patrons. Cerberus91, Chaotic Kia, Chris Slate, Christopher Gurley, Donnie Shanks, Naked Mango, Pocket Comet, and William Jackson. We also have to give a special thank you to our all-access patrons, Edward Parks, Remington Coutier, and our official patrons. Ready for this, Ariel? My Afro ate my dog. I was about to say that. Oh. Well, the last one is Philip A. Halbert. When you say Halbert, I think Halberd. <laughs> like the weapon. Is that, is that what we should call Philip from now on? I don't think <laughs> they would appreciate that. So, no. Well, those are our patrons. And we have to say a huge special thank you to them. Because... Without them, it would be really, really hard to fund this podcast. But also, we have to give a huge thank you to all our listeners, because without them, it would be really hard to have a podcast. So it kind of goes in both ways, doesn't it? You keep taking my line. I'm sorry. <laughs> Guess I'm not needed on this podcast anymore. Well, Ariel, you know what line I can't take from you? Oh, heaven only knows. So what did you bring for the mid-break, Ariel? So, I have an article. And this comes from IGN, and the title is Resident Evil Village, 
shrank Lady Dimitrescu for her multiplayer debut. So to get her into a playable state, the developers at Capcom had to pull a few tricks, including shrinking her just a smidge. And in an interview with Polygon, Kento Kinoshita revealed that the team wanted to keep Lady Termitresk's core attributes when turning her into a playable character, namely her height. Although I feel like that's a lie, namely I think it's her tits. And while she will be taller than any other character in Mercenaries mode, they did shrink her from her canonical 9 foot 6 inch height. Lady D, Lady Dimitrescu's height brought up a lot of challenges during development, but in the end, we were able to implement her with a giant stature, taller than any of the other characters. For the mercenaries, it's necessary that the player can control their character easily, and to make that possible, we did adjust her height to a little under 9 feet tall. At that height, the player just barely avoids bumping into the ceiling. <laughs> so, yeah. She c- And because of her size, she can throw furniture at enemies. <laughs> While Heisenberg can use his magnetic force as a close-range attack. Now that will be fun. Mm-hmm. I'm a- I would be super excited to play Heisenberg. So, yeah, look forward to that. I know I saw a lot of people are upset about shrinking her, but come on, it's literally like they said just under nine feet, nine foot. So, like, what they shaved like seven inches off of her. Like, come on, guys, it's fine. Y'all are gonna still enjoy her assets regardless. <laughs> so, calm down. I mean, I'm pretty excited to throw furniture. I'm not going to lie. I mean, yeah, that's actually, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I do understand the whole clipping thing. That would be a nightmare clipping through the ceiling every five seconds. Right. I can't see because I'm glitched into the ceiling again. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah. It's cool. It's cool. So, with that being said, Daniel, what do you bring for this? Have you ever wanted to look like an RPD police officer? I can't imagine that I would. Well, with these sunglasses, you can. <laughs> for the low price of $23 before shipping, they are a pair of black sunglasses that say RPD on the side of the frame. Not for sure how much difference there is, but you can look like your fellow RPD officer, hopefully one that doesn't shoot the other one in their butt. Uh, Wow. No. But if you go to justgeek.com, there's official Resident Evil RPD sunglasses. It does not have the shipping currently, but it probably does depend on your location. But they are $23 even, so Ariel should be happy it's not an odd number. Yep. Until yep. shipping. Until shipping. Then it'd be like eight fourteen or something for shipping. Oh goodness. But that's what I have. If you want to be an official Resident Evil police officer. Because you can't warning. 
can't, these glasses do not make you an actual police officer. <laughs> Because you can't be a cop without the official glasses, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, no. Well, <clears throat> you know what else makes a cop, Daniel? Even more sunglasses? No. A badge. And a bulletproof vest. And a bulletproof vest. <laughs> so, I actually have something really cool from the actual Capcom store. And this is a Resident Evil RPD welcome pack. And in this pack is contained a RPD police badge, an RPD key card, an RPD parking pass, and a Raccoon City map. Now, the cool thing about this is, is that each one of these items is metal, minus the map. The map is just a normal map. Um, and each one of those first three items comes with its own personal stand. And what's really cool about this whole thing is that it is only going to be around for a limited time and you can pre-order this in the links below and there's only going to be 2019 of these made worldwide so I would go in and pre-order now if you want one of these because there is a very limited stock uh, currently the US price for this is listed at $62.49 it is shipping from Europe so there will be a substantial uh, shipping cost that you will incur. I think I took it all the way to checkout and ours was $93 total for the purchase and shipping. So just be very wary of that if you do pre-order. Um, but yeah, that's pretty cool. But you know what makes this unofficial? What? There's no sunglasses. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How do I keep the facade without my sunglasses? Mm. So they work hand in hand. So for an additional $23 <laughs> on a different website, so additional shipping, you can also have your sunglasses. You're really pushing those sunglasses. Yeah, because you want to be official. <laughs> the warning, none of these things make you an official place. Oh, officer. gosh. Well, with all that being said, I think it's time for the end of the mid-break, unless Ariel has some input here. Oh, nothing really, you know. Unless you want to save 10% off on some dice. What? Ah, go to our link in the show notes below for Metallic Dice Games, and you can save yourself 10% off your purchase of dice. Dice trays, dice towers, dice bags. All things you need for gaming. Yeah, it's cool. They got resin dice, they've got gemstone dice, they've got rubber dice, wooden dice, like they got a bunch of stuff, metal dice, because, you know, metallic dice games, they got metal dice. <laughs> and yeah. Oh gosh. So uh, Michelle, she's in our other, she's in our uh, TTRPG group, our other podcast. She got a set of rubber dice and they're honestly fucking cool. Because they're like, they feel like bouncy balls, really. Did we test to see if they bounce? I did, and they do. Oh, yes. Yeah, one bounced onto the floor. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, they're actually really cool. Uh, yeah, so you want some dice? And why not go check what the dice they have? Use our link, and you can save yourself 10% off. Woo woo. And that's all I got. Well, with that being said, 
it is time for the end of the break. But here we are at the end of the episode. Boo. Boo. But we're doing discussion. Yay. Boo. (laughs) Boo. Okay, episode one was really great. I thoroughly enjoyed episode one. I already hate Jason. (laughs) Just how he is, I mean. Okay. Okay. First off. And each one of us has to pick something different. First thing that stood out to you with this episode, what was the thing that caught your eye? I'm going to just go ahead and go first. So I loved the opening sequence. With a first episode of anything, the main thing is to catch the viewer's attention Mm -hmm. and keep it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that opening sequence did the little like flashback I, I guess it would be a flashback for the two in 2000 mm-hmm. with the whole thing and Pinham Stan it caught my attention right away it was action packed engaging I loved it that's an important thing for the first episode of any series so yeah that's what I've got to say on that I thoroughly enjoyed the opening because it was very captivating and it kept my attention. So, I do like the twist that the soldiers ended up being the zombies. Yeah. That was a nice little twist. Yeah. Uh, which leads me to more questions, which will be answered, I'm sure, later on. But <laughs> this is episode one. Episode one. That's classified for now. <laughs> oh my God. I We're going to get that. to that. No, I can say that this time because it's true. It's true. We're going to get to that whole conversation because there's a lot of things that irritated me with that. But anyway, Daniel, what was the thing that caught your attention? I don't know. I mean, I watched it all. I'm not sure what caught my attention other than, you know, Jason being a dick the whole time. (laughs) I mean, he was. He is very... He was an aggressive character. They didn't try to be a douchebag or try to be a jerk, but he definitely came off that way. Well, from the beginning, Mm -hmm. even on a helicopter, didn't listen to orders. (laughs) Yep. Continued on. Then he he tried to treat Leon like crap, but I think Leon just didn't care. Okay. And then he did treat Leon like crap. (laughs) So we'll we'll, we'll get back to me. I do want to focus on this thing real quick. You said he didn't listen to orders. Yes, okay. they were telling him to pull out. So, That's it. <laughs> get out of here, Ariel. <laughs> so, there's something I want to talk about with that. So, when the helicopter went down and he requested to go and offer backup, okay, when he was denied that, that can be misconstrued as a unlawful order. Because as somebody who's in the military, usually you're told... First and foremost, you know, protect your own in all aspects. Offer cover fire, you know, do what you can to save your allies. To be given an order not to, especially since they're, they, it didn't seem like they were carrying anything of any sort of like importance. Uh, they didn't seem to be headed anywhere other than to a mission drop site. 
so that could be delayed slightly. No issues there. And it didn't seem like it didn't seem like it was going to be an issue to go and offer support. If in his same position, I would have made the same call, honestly, that that is an unlawful order I'm receiving from command. We are dropping. We are going to assist. So I really don't think that a dickish move. I actually think that the direct opposite. He was trying to be the good guy there and he was trying to do the right thing. I mean, I get what you're saying. It was a lawful order and he did disobey it. But in the same context, in the military, you're told to look out for those unlawful orders and go against them whenever you find them. Well, and either way, it must have not been that bad for him to go against it because, as we heard, he's the hero of the mm-hmm. stand. So that if it would have been truly a, a against orders, you know, he would have been what court-martialed. Oh, big time. Yeah. Oh, big time. So I don't think he'd be a hero if he was court-martialed. Yeah. It would have been a court-martial with, eh, depending on the situation, it could have been at risk of the death penalty for treason. Like, yeah. it, it, I highly doubt that that position is going to be treated as treason. And honestly, 90% of the time, it's not treated as treason. It's just a failure to obey a lawful order. But yeah. I mean, it would definitely result in a court-martial either way if it was that really that serious. Yeah, then just him not giving Leon any information. I mean, I guess he's in charge of the group, but I would think that you would still want your compatriots mm-hmm. that are allied with you to go in here to know some information and not just keep everything under wraps. Seems kind of sus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that mm-hmm. you're talking about the end part, right? Yeah, where they're on the yeah. submarine. Yeah. Like some information should have still been like, oh, here's your time frame roughly. Oh, you yeah. Know, you don't have to be like, oh, that's classified. You can't give me a general time frame or you might not give me all the information because, yeah, you've been told some of this is completely classified, but you can still give base information because if unless I was ordered to go, which I think Leon was, mm-hmm. then I would be like, I don't want to do this mission if I'm not going to know what I'm going into. Yeah. Ew. Well, even when he asked about the layout of the facility, like mm-hmm. that's not classified information. That's pertinent information. Yeah, that's you can get that on Google. <laughs> Google must not exist in Resident Google Evil. must not exist in Resident Evil. Yeah. <laughs> it's so for you're just all about defending him, aren't you? No, 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 no. This is totally a, this is a moment where I was like, no, nah, this is this is where he really showed his dickish colors to me. The first part where he said it was classified when Leon asked about mission details. Understandable. Obviously, you're on a submarine. These individuals who are operating the submarine are not a part of your mission. So you do kind of want to keep that stuff classified. What we're going to do, what we're going in for. You know, I've given you the basics. He did give them the basics. We're going in to get intel and get out. That's it. Give him the basics. The really finite details, I can see why he would say those are classified weight. Because he did say at the end of his original briefing, I will debrief you more when we reach shore. Meaning he was probably waiting for a area where it was more secure. Because they're also, you got to think, they're doing this under the radar. Like he, they flat out said, if you make a noise and we get found, like this is going to start a war. So he's like, all right, well, I am not trying to feed somebody some stuff. But anything after that, like the layout, like you said, 
the layout? Oh, it's classified. No, you're a dick. Uh, time frame? Classified. Again, you're a dick. Like, I get even the time frame can be misconstrued as like, okay, well, we don't want to give the enemy any information. There might be a mole on the sub, whatever. But still, being like, you, he could have flat out said like, you got 30 minutes or we got an hour or something along those yeah. lines. It could have given a broader spectrum, but just being like, it's classified as a dick. You're a dick. <laughs> I think he's just trying to show that he's in charge. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, clearly Shen Mei was kept in the know because she mm-hmm. didn't object to any of that. Nope. And then he even told so, Leon those classified information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he asked her on a date. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got a young man. <laughs> it's classified for now. What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Maybe Jason's younger than her. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, like I said when we were watching the movie, Leon has a thing for Asians, so <laughs> uh, that's just you know one step closer for me to get with Leon because. Mix squeeze me. I mean, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So about that plot. Uh, <laughs> That's what I got. I mean, really, I don't. I don't want to say nothing caught my eye, but like, I did pay attention to my uh, growing hatred for Jason. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a jerk, in a nice word, jerk. Yeah. Hard um, T jerk. Hard T jerk. <laughs> Only the patrons will get that. <laughs> so. The part that got my attention was the um, the helicopter when they said uh, Ace of Spades is requesting to fly in. Oh, when Leon was coming in? Mm-hmm. Because the Ace of Spades, if anybody has any sort of knowing that, is usually a symbol of death. So they're saying Leon is death coming in? <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> That just got my attention because it could have been the call sign of the helicopter, which, you know, whatever, fine. I just thought it ironic that Leon was flying in with the call sign Ace of Spades. He's dealt with so much death. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice little nod. Irony. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, five minutes after he lands, it's zombie outbreak. So chaos. Maybe Leon is the mole. That's not a thing ever. <laughs> Can't tell me there's not a Leon clone if there's a Wesker clone. So, uh, Ariel asked a question while we were watching this with the flashlight clicking. They were, as they were clearing rooms, we're talking about the zombies now, the zombie outbreak part. Yes. They were clicking flashlights in the rooms. And this is not a common known thing. Because they're clicking it here and they're like, they're going real fast. They're clicking it off, clicking it off, clicking it off, clicking it off in different directions. They're moving their hands. That is a distraction technique that is utilized by mostly FBI agents, anybody in a special like career field. It was super cool to see that in the movie. Or I guess the show. It was super cool to see them utilize that because that is an actual tact that is utilized and is a 
distraction slash disorientation technique. I think they mostly did use it too, probably, because they're all specially trained, opposed to, you know, your normal police officers and everything. They're higher up Mm -hmm. in the chain, so I could definitely see them being trained in that aspect. Oh, big time. Oh, big time. I wouldn't have known about it until you explained it. (laughs) As I said, it's not a commonly known thing. I didn't even know about it until I learned how to do it. So it was not a commonly known thing. I just watched it be done. I still don't know how to do it. (laughs) So there is not a whole lot left to talk about with this episode. Um, Dale, is there anything else you wanted to bring up? I think most of the plot of this episode we basically covered. I mean, there's not too much when we discuss some of the stuff, but I think we'd have to get into the nitty gritty of the other episodes Mm -hmm. to really get a lot more to go on. There's a couple Easter eggs that I could bring up here, but I'll save them because they also tie into a few more episodes. So you don't want to give away your mm-hmm. secrets. And I don't really want to talk about the whole zombie attack in, you know, the Middle East just yet, because there's a lot more info to come on that. So I feel like talking about that later versus what we know now in episode one I think we should save all of that for a bulk drop. Yeah. Anything you want to talk about, Ariel? Nope. Okay. Well, with that being said, I think it's time for the end of the episode. So thank you all for listening and tune in next week when we talk about episode two. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and a review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RELurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger.